Good afternoon, sci-fi fans. Welcome back to the synopsis. Today's episode will be the final episode where we dive into the TV series Fringe. And this episode I'll be looking at the season 5, the final season for the TV series. And then after that, just a quick overview of the whole TV series um, as a whole, how it all kind of comes together. Um, so starting off with season five, I figured that once again, I'd kind of start off with some, uh, some new characters. Um, the first one is, uh, Henrietta, AKA Etta Bishop, who is the daughter of Peter and Olivia. You also get to meet Captain Windmark, who is the head observer for lack of anything else to call them. Um, he is the head observer that's overseeing the operations on Earth in the year 2036. And as you find out, Season 5 takes place about roughly 20 years after Season 4. So kind of keep that in mind that there is a, a slight um, shift in the, in the time gap between Season 4 and 5. And so Captain Winmark, as I mentioned, is uh, the, the leader or the, uh, the captain, if you will, of Earth in the year 2036. Uh, he's not the, the, the leader of the, the observers overall. It's actually somebody else. But as I mentioned, we'll kind of get to that in the next phase where we talk about the main uh, plot of the story. Uh, there's also Michael... And uh, Michael was first introduced to everybody in season one. He is the child observer that eventually gets um, taken by the observer known as September. And then after that, you don't really see uh, the child again. Um, But that is who makes a reoccurring uh, uh, appearance in... Season 5, and it's Michael. Um, and I include him as a main character, even though he's not in most of the episodes for Season 5. But his role is a main character kind of a vibe to it. So I consider him a main character. And, of course, there are a slew of uh, new characters and recurring characters who kind of fill minor roles within the fifth season. Um, They all play a small part, but, you know, there's just so many of them, it doesn't really matter uh, if I mention them at all. You know, obviously one of them would be, for example, Nina, who is the uh, CEO of uh, um, Massive Dynamic. She makes appearances in in the show as well as a recurring character, like she did... for seasons one through four. Um, I think there is even a slight uh, cameo by uh, Leonard Nimoy for his character, but it's you just see him frozen in amber and that's it. You know, so um, when it's all said and done, you know, there's so many minor characters that get introduced into season five because it's set 20 years later that it's, you know, not really a big, uh, big deal. Um in my opinion, to go through and name them all. Um, 
so so basically there's there's three new main characters uh, Etta, Captain Winmark and Michael. Going on to the main plot of the story, basically the season kind of follows this whole um, quest chain, if you will, and that is uh, uh, in the beginning, Henrietta or Etta is trying to unthaw the uh, the French team from Amber, and so she's able to do that. She's able to unthaw uh, first Walter, and then she, they get Peter out, and then eventually they're able to uh, rescue. Uh, um, Astrid and then uh, Olivia after that and so they so Henrietta or Etta as they call her it, her nickname um, Etta basically gets the, the old team back together you know she got the band back together if you will and now what they're trying to do is they are trying to um, basically fight the tyranny that is the observers and so Part of the um, season five story plot is kind of the, the side plot that is the observers, and so you find out in this season that um, sometime in the twenty-second century, humanity makes a big scientific discovery where tech can be implanted into humans that will increase our intelligence slightly but at the cost of losing a little bit of our emotions slight you know a slight degrade so you know on a if you have like a, a cup half full or something like that you know that the water could mean could stand for intelligence and the empty portion could mean uh, um um, the, the emotional side of being human. Um, and basically what you find out is that as this technology can uptick the human intelligent, the cost is human emotion and compassion. And so you basically learn that starting in the mid-22nd century, when this, this new scientific uh, discovery is, is made and this technology is implemented... Throughout the um, the next few centuries after that, humans basically continue to give away more and more of their compassion and their emotions so that they can gain more and more intelligence. Basically, it's the uh, Vulcanifying of humans. If you remember from Star Trek, the Vulcans are all about pure knowledge and intelligence, and they disregard all... Um, emotions and, and feelings. Well, in Fringe, that's basically what you find out with the observers, is that the observers are actually humans, but who have used technology to artificially advance the human evolution, and that evolution is an intelligence at the expense of human emotion and feeling and all that stuff. And so, by the time of the 27th century we find out that the observers have, have basically lost all connection to emotions and feelings and all that stuff in favor of uh, maxing out their intellect. And so that's where the observers come from, is there's 12 observers, each one named after a month of the year, 
And these 12 observers go back in time to the 21st century where you see episodes 1 through 4 taking place. And so you learn that these 12 observers are going back and and it was originally um, advertised to them that it was a, uh, um, a mission of knowledge and of, of observance and to, to, to gather um, historical record, if you will, of that time period. Because the powers that be said, well, hey, this is like the, uh, a very important epoch, epoch in, uh, um, in human civilization. So these 12 observers said, okay, yeah, we'll go back and we'll kind of uh, be archaeologists, if you will, and just kind of observe what's going on in the moment. And that's why you see the observers pop up here and there in, in uh, times of great or important events in human history is because these observers are going back to witness it firsthand so they can make a some sort of a historical or archaeological uh, um, observance for their records so they can, you know, keep their knowledge at its peak uh understanding when it comes to human history okay so that that's kind of what you'll learn about the only thing is that uh the powers that be within the observers or the humans of the 27th century is that they were actually planning not to use these uh time travel instances to uh observe humans past and our history and to have a, a, a clear understanding of what went on but to basically go back in time and invade and, and take over and rule and basically reset human civilization so that it can progress the way they want it to. Um, and you kind of get the hint that in the 27th century, the humans or the observers have basically, for all intents and purposes, rendered Earth uninhabitable. So they're running out of ideas as to what they can do to keep humanity going and so they figure the best thing to do is just go back in time and go back to a point in time where not only is it the easiest to uh, take over and rule but also have the least amount of impact on affecting the future so that uh, they don't mess up their own evolution that started in the 22nd century as I mentioned about that scientific discovery so apparently that's been that's what the observers have been trying to do is find that that uh, peak probability in human history that they can go back in time, take over and rule, and also not change the timeline so much that the technology that uh, was a kickstart to their intellectual evolution is negated. Kind of confusing, kind of convoluted, but you know. Given my other interest in in, uh, um, in sci-fi, it does make sense. I understand what 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 the uh, the writers were trying to accomplish there. Uh, so that's kind of what you find out with the the main plot. Uh, you also find out that uh, Etta and her team of the original uh, Fringe team. Now what they're trying to do is they're trying to not only dodge these uh, uh, authoritarian observers who have complete control over the Earth. Um, but they're also trying to find clues 
to some sort of secret plan that Walter had uh, um, devised shortly after the observers uh, took over. And you find out that for whatever reason, they were getting close to getting everything all set up and having the one final answer that they needed in place when the observers caught up to him. And that's why uh, Walter ambered the uh, other team members into that amber casing that you saw from season one. And then he also does it to himself too in order to basically make it look like the team... uh, uh, the fringe division team kind of took one for the team, if, if you will, and killed themselves on behalf of the resistance that they had built up around themselves. Um, so that's kind of what, what you find out as well, is that uh, um, Walter is... kind of, his whole plan is put on hold, but once they get... Uh, unthought, if you will, from the Amber. Now they're trying to restart that whole game plan. And the problem is, is that before, once again, before Walter Ambered himself, just like he did, you know, before the events of season one, you find out that he'd once again removed portions of his brain, or at least, at the very least, scrambled his brain so that um, the observers could not read his mind or, or invade his mind and uh, basically take the, uh, the clues and, or take the plan itself and uh, thwart it. So he goes on basically, basically it's a, uh, um, a, a mind erasure where he, he gets rid of portions of his memory that would give away the plan as well as prevent the plan from being thwarted. Uh, but what he also does too is he uses an old VHS tape system and he records uh, segments on different videotapes and then hides them. And not only does each videotape give a clue to where the next videotape is, but it also gives a clue to the pieces or to what the game plan is. And so uh, it's kind of, it's almost like going on an Easter egg hunt. You're trying to find a bunch of. Uh, um, Hence, that will lead you to the next one, and get to the get to the you know the final location of what the the, the game plan is. So, I guess another way to describe it is you're it's one big earth wide um, escape room. One clue needs leads to the other, leads to the other, which helps you get out of the room. And that's what they're doing, um, and so uh, as they're going through this, they're. They're finding these videotapes. They're getting the clues to the next videotape as well as the clues to the to uh, where the game, where the uh, the final game plan is hidden. And so they get all the clues. They get to the game plan, and then the main plot kind of goes from there. Is okay. Well, now we got to figure out and put all these pieces together, and then figure out what the final piece is for this mechanism that is the game plan that will help them to to defeat the observers. Um, now, before I, go, before I go any further on this main plot, um, there are some side plots along the way. As I mentioned, we learn about the history of the, of the observers, about how they created the scientific breakthrough piece of tech that uh, um, allows them to 
uh, augment their intelligence at the expense of human emotion and feelings, and how over the pre the um, following centuries they just basically dial intelligence up to hundred, and as a result, human emotion goes down to zero, which turns them into the uh, technocratic overlords that they that you see them in season five when they take over. You also find out too along the way that the uh, um, the observer known as September, who randomly disappears in season four, it's either four or three. I want to say maybe it's th- season three. Uh, you find out what happens to him, and so you find out that the observers are mad at, at September for all of his uh, interference in the timeline. That being. Um, basically uh, distracting alternate Walter from making the cure for his son. That, of course, leads Walter to decide, hey, I gotta go over to this alternate universe to save Peter, bring him back and give him the antidote myself, and then raise him as my own. Um, this interference also includes September jumping in and saving Peter from the lake when Walter brings him back from the alternate universe and then all the other times that you see in season one through three where September jumps in and helps the fringe team uh, and basically breaking the quote-unquote rules of the observers which is to only observe and not to interact Uh, and so you kind of see what happens to him you find out that uh, uh, after he disappears it's because the other observers snatch him and punish him for his quote-unquote crimes. And what that means is they take out the tech that uh, is in him, the scientific uh, discovery that all of the observers have as humans, and then they basically revert him back to basically 21st century humanity. So he loses all of his powers that uh, come from the technology that he uses, the intelligence, all that stuff. Um, he can still he still knows quite a bit more just because once he knows that kind of information, you know, it's, it's not like he's just gonna forget it because he has he no longer has the the chip in his neck. But uh, um, basically, he's rendered to only be nothing but a human at that point. You find that out as well. You also find out that the final key to the puzzle is Michael, the, the child observer that you uh, that I mentioned earlier as a new character. Uh, you find out that uh, he is also the um, offspring of uh, September. And so September now has that father-son connection with Michael and wanting to help him out because he's his son. And so you find out that Michael is the son of September and that he's going to play a very crucial role in um, in the plot because you find out that Michael is a very unique, he's considered an anomaly in the scientific experimentation that the observers are doing. He's an anomaly because not only is his intellect up at 100% from the tech that he's using, but his, his emotions are also at, up at 100%. Basically, Michael does not have to give up human emotion and feelings to get that peak level or that maximum level of intelligence. 
So basically, he is the next evolution of the observers, where that they regain their emotion and their feelings, and now they are able to have full human um, intelligence, but not at the expense of losing their their feelings. And he's able to max out on his feelings as well. So he becomes basically like the the, the uber example of what uh, uh, humanity could be. Um, if they evolve past what the observers are in the 27th century. Um, so that's something that you we also find out about as part of a side plot. Uh, and then that's part of the, uh, the, the main story arc of trying to find where Michael's at and having to uh, go based off of hints and clues that are left by some of these videotapes and some of the other uh, scattered bits and pieces of knowledge that uh, remain in, in Walter's head. And eventually you find the child, Michael, the, the child observer. And then the rest of the main plot can continue on from there. Um, throughout this whole endeavor that we see in season five, as I mentioned, obviously there's some side plots or side stories that, that develop. One of them is between Olivia and Etta. As you find out that Etta is part of a, a resistance against the observers. And... Um, there's a there's a little bit of friction that develops between Olivia and, and Etta over the tactics that Etta and her resistance group decides to use, and Olivia's not too uh, appreciative of Etta going to very extreme measures to fight off the uh, um, the observers, and so there is uh, a moral dilemma that uh, that arises between Olivia and Etta about the tactics that Etta's choosing to use. And her response to her mother is, is well, you have the uh, privilege of growing up in a time before the observers came to where you can uh, sit there and uh, not have to worry about uh, um, feeling, you know, feeling bad about what's going on. I don't have that luxury. It's either do or die. I, I only know a world that... Uh, um, is ruled by these these uh, autocrats, and so for me, it's either you know I fight back just as dirty, or I die and then they win. And so pick your poison, you know. Um, and so that, that and initially that causes quite a bit of uh, um, friction between Olivia and Etta, and that kind of culminates when the two meet in the middle and Etta realizes, well, you can't be so gruesomely uh, um, cold to everybody who falls under the hierarchy that is the observer's autocracy. You know, you don't, you don't employ the same, um, I guess, meanness to the average foot soldier as you would the observer himself. You, you gotta realize that some of these are, they're still humans and they're your fellow humans from the 21st century and you just have to kinda, you know, give them a little bit of slack and show them, hey, you know, here's a little bit of uh, emotion and compassion. Maybe you should join our side, even if it looks like a losing cause, at least you die on your feet rather than uh, um, dying on your knees or living on your knees. Um, so that was kind of a nice little, uh, um, I guess parlay that the two came to where they kind of met in the middle and, uh, Etta kind of abandoned some of her more extreme, uh, 
um, handling of the fight against the observers and all of the people under them, their minions. And at the same time, Olivia kind of realized too that, yeah, you know, my daughter only knows a world living under the tyranny of the observers. And so at some point, that means she's going to have to start fighting fire with fire in order to, uh, to, to counter them. And sometimes that gets ugly. And so she under, so she came to understand that, yeah, sure, some of these more extreme measures are understandable, and I need to meet you in the middle, and that's what happened. Um, there was also a similar friction between Peter and Olivia. Uh, one of the big, uh, I guess, midway points, mid-season uh, uh, um, climaxes is that Etta gets killed by Captain uh, Wind, Windmark while they're trying to secure one of the uh, pieces required for the machinery for the game plan that will destroy or stop the observers. And so uh, Etta gets killed, and now there is friction between Peter and Olivia and how they deal with the loss of Etta. And so uh, they start pushing each other away, and that drives Peter to become just as, um, I guess, extreme, if you will, as, as Edo was. And he becomes very focused on seeking vengeance for, her, for his daughter's death. And what he ends up doing is he goes to extreme measures to stop the observers. And by... That, I mean, Peter was able to work with the resistance to capture one of the uh, observers. And he felt the best way to beat them was to think like them. And so what Peter did was is he, uh, he took out the tech from the, the back of the neck of the observer and he implanted it into himself. And then over the next couple episodes, he starts basically becoming more and more like the observers, increasing his intelligence to the point where he can now start predicting with um, precision accuracy uh, the chains of events and which one will be the most likely chain of event to come true and to start countering and predicting where these observers are and basically hitting hitting them with uh, precision attacks that either kills them or allows them to be captured so they can be interrogated as well. Um, and then, so basically what happens is the, uh, the, the group starts to notice that Peter is basically acting like an observer as his emotional level goes down, his intelligence goes up, and basically what you find out is that uh, uh, Walter and Olivia have a, one of the, what, what they call a come-to-Jesus moment with, uh, with Peter and say, hey, you know, in your quest to seek vengeance for the death of your daughter, you become so focused on, on hatred for them that you're becoming exactly like them. Right down to the point where you've implanted the tech, you're thinking the same way they are, and you're losing your, your sense of your humanity in terms of your compassion and your, your feelings and your love for those around you that you're basically giving up your giving up your sense of self just to seek vengeance for your daughter's death and to stop the observers and basically you know they discover that uh, after so much time of being connected to that tech 
it will basically become permanent and Peter now will be able to revert back to who he was before the attack. And so they become worried that he's going to have this observer tech in him for so long that he will forever be like-minded and they will lose Peter forever, if you will, in that sense, in that, in that mental, emotional, character way, not life versus death way. So uh, they have that, that quote-unquote come-to-Jesus moment. Walter kind of says, hey, man, you know, um, I know that... I don't have any memories from you other than when we first met in season four, but you become a son, you know, you become a son to me, even though you're not my son and, and, uh, I love you, man. And you gotta, you know, you gotta take this thing out and you gotta, you gotta come to your wits. There's a better way that we can fight them and still hold on to who we are as humans and still beat them. So luckily for the whole group, Peter makes a decision to take the tech out and he, he reverts back to who he is before the tech, and everyone's happy because the day is saved type of thing. Um, but there is a whole moral dilemma that is brought up there as well as to what point is too far. Do you, you know, how far is too far when it comes to fighting an enemy like the observers? Do you, you know, put the tech in? Do you not? Do you think like them? Do you not? How do you, how do you go about... Um, fighting them and stopping them without becoming like them. And you see that throughout all the a whole bunch of other aspects in, in, in human history, human uh, um, fiction or non-fiction. Uh, basically, anything that deals with human entertainment and media, there's always going to be that ethical dilemma that develops. And this version here in the Fringe is no different. Just another twist of the same question as to how far is too far? At what point do you draw the line? Um, and then, of course, the last kind of side plot that we see in Season 5 is con- is Walter's continued journey as a person and how he has grown. Um, you see the continued guilt that he bears for creating this whole thing to begin with. And he kind of sees what he did way back before when Peter was sick and died, and then he went over to the alternate timeline. He believes that he is the cause for um, everything happening, including the observers coming in and basically taking over and taking control of humanity because they viewed Walter's actions and humanity's actions at that point as being too immature and and too uh, risky for their own good. And so Walter feels the, the guilt and he puts basically the whole weight of that guilt of, of the world on his shoulders. And you really see it in, in season five because now it's the whole world is being is suffering underneath the oppression of the observers and he bl- puts that all that blame onto him. Um, and this kind of leads into back into the main story plot because towards the end of the season, you find out that the game plan is, is to, uh, steal observer tech 
and use it like what they do. You find out that uh, um, observers have this technology where they can open up a huge doorway. And you kind of see this in um, some of the uh, previous episodes too, where um, big doorways can open up not only between uh, timelines, like from the main timeline to the alternate timeline, but also in terms of time travel. And you find out that the observers are opening up doorways from the observers present, a.k.a. the 27th century, and sending supplies back to the 21st century where Season 5 takes place. And so you find out that the game plan for the Fringe Division, guided by Walter's intellect and understanding of things, is to get this child observer who has become the the pinnacle of human evolution, even if it is guided by scientific discovery, trying to get this child observer to the 22nd century when that initial scientific discovery is made, but to show them, hey, instead of giving up human emotion and, and feelings for intellect... Just skip that whole step and go right to the finished product that is this child and his evolutionary status. Study it and then develop the tech that way so that humans could peak out their uh, intellect at the same time, peak out their, their compassion and their emotion for each other. So that's the game plan. And they think that by doing so, that will rewrite history and the observers will disappear because they won't be the autocratic, uh, technocrat, uh, intelligence-only types that you see controlling the world in Season 5. So that's basically what happens, is that's the game plan. And so when they find the child, um, Walter's whole side plot, side story, his struggles, his, his quest for redemption, comes to a culmination in a couple of different ways. First of all, what you find out is that um, this child observer somehow has the ability to grant Walter his uh, his memories and his his experiences back from season one through three. Uh, so, if you remember from my season four critique, how I thought it was kind of weird that Walter didn't get his season one through three memories back. But Olivia did. Well, now jumping in here to season five, now Walter has been kind of uh, reset with his original life experiences and his original memories from season one through three. And so he kind of experiences that wash of all of this, these, these positive emotions that he had knowing that he did have his son Peter with him since the age of six, since the age that Peter was six, six, and was able to re-remember the good times of having a child throughout his life, even though there was a bunch of other bad times, given that he experimented on children and all of his other scientific woes that he, uh, he caused. And so that was kind of the culmination of, of Walter's redemption story was that he was finally able to find, you know, 
some sort of internal peace or, or at least some sort of a, um, acceptance of self uh, come the end of season five when he had all of his memories restored, all of his past experiences restored, and then his most ultimate uh, um, act of redemption was is to was to to fix the timeline, and by that he he garnered that well. What I have to do is I have to accompany this child into the future and help guide the process along with the child so that humanity doesn't turn into the observers that we see from the 27th century. And so that is kind of Peter, uh, of Walter's final act of redemption. Um, now, one thing that does help too is with Peter's re- or with Walter's redemption, uh, there is that reconnect with September as well because September starts helping them in human form. Um, and uh, September does take a, quite a bit, I think, of guilt off of um, Walter's shoulders because he admits to him, he says, you know, you didn't cause what happened back when, when Peter was six. That was me. And he admitted to the fact that it was his presence observing Wal- alternate Walter make the uh, the potion that was supposed to uh, save Peter's life. It was that uh, interruption of alternate Walter that caused Walter to miss the, the, the timing for that final ingredient that would make that potion work and thus set in stone the whole chain of events that would lead up to the TV series Fringe. And so, um, so there's some shared, uh, guilt and, uh, acceptance of responsibility on the part of September to kind of help alleviate the, the, the pain and the, and the guilt and the, the sorrow that, uh, Walter had developed, um, over the years, just in the fringe TV series alone of his role and everything. So that kind of helped uh, set up the whole thing. Unfortunately, uh, September gets shot and killed in the final episode. So he wasn't supposed to... Uh, he, he was supposed to actually take his son back with him. But since he died, Walter kind of stepped in and said, You know what? This was originally my idea. I don't care if you are his, his father. I'm going to fulfill this role, even though he got shot and eventually died from the, the, the bullet wounds. Um... Walter stepped in and said, this is what I need to do to make sure that, you know, my redemption story is complete and uh, I'm able to heal the damage I've done. And that's basically how season five ends is the, uh, the fringe group, are they're able to thwart the uh, uh, plans of the observers using a lot of the uh, quote-unquote fringe phenomenon that they came across um, throughout seasons one through three and even I think some in four, season four as well. Uh, they used uh, Olivia's jumping capabilities to jump into the alternate universe where they found out the uh, um, observers didn't even touch. And so the, the alternate universe just kind of did its thing separately of observer uh, interference. Um, 
and they jumped into this alternate universe to jump into uh, Liberty Island, into the secret facility there that the Observers had set up so that they could rescue the, the child uh, Observer when he got captured and then bounce back to the alternate universe and then bounce back to the main universe, but in a different location. Um, so there's a long-winded story behind why they chose to do that um, because they felt like they could not... Um, infiltrate the facility on their ti- in their timeline, in their universe. So they had Olivia jump to the alternate universe, get to the facility that was there on the alternate universe, and then jump back, thus infiltrating it without having to actually break through the lines of guards and, and uh, security fences, the whole nine yards. Um, snatch the, the, the child uh, observer, Michael, jump back to the alternate universe, take a car ride back to another location, a neutral location that they could then, that, where she could then jump back to her universe to um, a neutral position in her universe and then get the child away to safety. It, like I said, it's kind of a convoluted uh, um, story, but uh, if you watch the episodes... Even though it's long-winded, it does make sense. Um, so, they utilized basically all the things that they had investigated in seasons one through three, and I'd say even season four. And they used all those against the Observers so that they could uh, thwart the Observers' plans to stop them. At the same time, they were able to uh, um, steal Observer technology, use that technology against the Observers, to send Walter and Michael, the child observer, into the future, into the uh, 22nd century, to change the course of history from there on, so that the observers would not exist in the 27th century. And that is the how the whole story ends. Is The same way you, you see season 4 end, where Peter and Olivia are at a park, and their daughter... Henrietta is maybe five years old or whatever. That's how season five ends. The only difference is, is season four ends with the observers just popping into view and kind of taking over in a big, massive attack. Season five, no, observ- no observers show up. Happy ending. And so that kind of is how... that That's how the series ends. Uh, the pros, I think, is I do like how they did describe the, the, the backstory behind the Observers. How they came to be, who they were, and, uh, you know, their ultimate goals and why they ended up uh, taking over um, Earth. The one con, one con that I have in, in association to that is why didn't they take over the alternate universe, too? Um... That never made sense to me. Why they, why the observers only took over the main universe and did not take over the alternate universe? You'd think you'd take over both universes because both of them were um, basically "quote unquote" causing a muck, if you will, uh, meddling with technology that they don't understand. So logic would have actually dictated that the observers take over both timelines. But for some reason, they only took over the main timeline. So that's one of the cons I had. Is it just didn't make sense to only take over one timeline. Um, another thing I did like is that, like I mentioned before, Walter's memories 
and experiences from, from season one through three were rebestowed upon him. And he was basically, you know, everything was reset so that season four, you know, for all intents and purposes, didn't really matter, you know. So I did like that we got to see, uh, you know, the, the Walter from season one through three return and then kind of merge together with the, the season four memories and, and character that is Walter, even though there was just a slight deviation between them. Um... The other one that I did like is I did like the uh, the moral dilemma that they raised regarding uh, Henry uh, Etta's, um you know like resistance behavior along with Peter's vengeance behavior you know uh, in terms of the tactics that they both decided to pursue the, the extremities that they were willing to go to and the question of is well is this okay or is it not okay where is the line why is the line drawn at that particular spot should it be moved. You know, I, I do like that they brought that into play because you do see that in multiple works of art throughout human history. But where, like I said, where the line is drawn, why is it drawn there? Is it acceptable to go beyond it in certain instances or not? You know, that whole moral dilemma that's centered around that idea, I think is a really important one to have. You know, at what point is your response to the oppressor so bad or so so extreme that you become the oppressor yourself or you behave just like them so that you're you're indistinguishable from them you know is that acceptable is it not i think that they did a pretty good job of, of talking about it and, and and at least raising it uh into question and i also liked how they did tie-ins from the first three seasons and even the fourth season because you get to meet uh lincoln lee and you find out Lincoln and uh, the alternate Olivia are together, married, you know, and they they have a happy life as well. So you kind of get to see a closure from all four of the previous seasons, and that was nice. Um, the cons, once again, I said it on every single uh, con that I had for every single season. They didn't do anything with developing Astrid's character or her backstory. Um, there was a really nice exchange between Walter and Astrid before Walter left and disappeared through the wormhole with the, the child, the observer. That was supposed to be a heart-to-heart with Astrid, you know, about, you know, thanking her for being there next to him, basically acting like, you know, her daughter, taking care of him, all that stuff. You know, he was, you know basically just kind of, you know, wooing her with, with words of, of how her name was beautiful, after, you know, and kind of get the hint that maybe he was just kind of playing with her the whole time, but getting the name wrong just to kind of create this uh, comedic relief, you know, but uh, um, I'm still, it's still a con to me that they didn't develop her back. She is the only character, the only main character that did not have her own backstory that was really in-depth looked at. I mean, they even did one for the, for, uh, uh, what's his name? Colonel, uh, um, my man's drawn up blank, like the head of the, the, the fringe division. Um, even in season five that they showed him there, he was still at the head of fringe division, ended up helping the, uh, the team, even though he was technically working for the observers. Um, 
even he had a background story. The only person who did not have a background story or any kind of character development was uh, Astrid. And I thought she was a really cool character, you know. But they just they just didn't do anything with her. And that was kind of a bummer in my mark. Um, the other one, too, is... It didn't make sense to me that their game plan was to, quote-unquote, reset the timeline. And that resetting the timeline would mean... Um, reverting what happened at the end of season four, stopping the observers from invading at the end of season four, because and here's my, here's my understanding of it or my thought process of it is, um, when Walter and Michael go into the 22nd century and provide an alternate option for technology that would advance human evolution, that would wipe out the, the chain of events that would carry on from the 22nd to the 27th um, centuries. Which means, for starters, the uh, the observers would not become as, you know, as antagonistic as they are, uh, as what they are in the beginning of Season 5, where you notice that they go back in time and take over the Earth. You know, uh... So basically, the assumption is is that the uh, um, this new tech, uh, or this yeah, this new tech that's in Michael, or even if there is no new tech in Michael, it's just Michael is purely 100% human without any technological uh, implants, you know. But he's now has the natural naturally has the um, max intelligence of what the like what the observers have, but also the max emotions that basically make them fully human, um, it can be assumed that that kind of behavior or character will, will, then, will henceforth go forward from the timeline, which means the 27th century obser- new observers, Michael variation, if you will, would not go back in time and do anything, which means there would be a, no observers, and that means that alternate Walter will not miss his opportunity to make the final ingredient into the potion that will save his son. Which means, doesn't that mean that the whole thing will be reset at Peter age six and not at the end of season four? So that's kind of what I don't really understand is is this whole idea of let's hit the reset button but have that, re- that reset button only apply to the end of season four. Why not the end of season three? Why not all the way back to when Peter was only six years old? And instead of um, Walter taking Peter back to his universe from the alternate universe, why not just the reset button being uh, September doesn't interfere with alternate Walter making the potion. Alternate Walter makes a potion, saves his son's life, and then Peter ends up growing up and living in the universe he was originally supposed to be in, which was the alternate universe. That's the that's technically what the reset button would have looked like. Um, so I don't quite understand the, the whole idea behind the whole reset button being reset the events starting at the end of season four in the park where Olivia and um, Peter are enjoying a picnic with their five-year-old daughter. That... It just doesn't make sense to me. It seems like that kind of event 
in terms of the the uh, the the change and the progression of the observers and their their evolution would affect more than just end of season four onward. It would go all the way back to Peter age six when they really first apparently um, really start getting involved in uh, observing. You know, like much more of a first person. Uh, um, up close and personal type of a observation. So um, that's, I guess, one thing I don't really understand why they did that. Um, the other con too is that that I have is just time travel in general. Time travel is very difficult, um, and I think the problem that they did here with time with the time travel is they tried to do it back in a way, kind of like a Back to the Future type of a style. But in reality, what it would only do is it would only create um, branches or uh, um, breaks in the timeline. And so, in essence, by sending the child to the future with Walter, which would then change the course of the observer evolution, the timeline that we see in Season 5 would still continue on. It just means now the total break or the possible breakdown of the uh, observers as a controlling agent of Earth in the 22nd century or 21st century. Um, but it would also branch off a, a secondary alternate timeline where we see at the end of season five, where okay they're able to reset it, so now all of a sudden, boom, they can. Um, have that that little picnic in the park and not have the observers um, come in and attack, set up shop as the rulers of the earth. So in, in reality, what would happen is instead of there just being one continuous timeline from four onward, that would become a new focal point, a new breaking point where that one singular timeline is actually fractured into two timelines. One being the events of season five and then everything onward after that. One being the new change where now it's no longer the authoritarian antagonist type observers like what you see in the season five, but a new type of observers or none at all because they just know not to go back in the past and meddle in things. So um, that's kind of the other con that I have is it, it kind of falls into the... Uh, the, the typical misunderstanding of time travel and all the implications that it has associated with it. Um, but it overall still did a pretty good job, kind of like Back to the Future. You know, the, I like Back to the Future. Like I said, I, I don't like the, the whole uh, inconsistencies it, it raises with, uh, with time travel but it's still a good movie trilogy. Same thing with Fringe. They didn't do a, you know, they, they did a pretty decent job trying to play that out the same way, even though, as I mentioned, there's too many inconsistencies that associate with time travel. That being is, you know, one time I could, fr- could fracture into two separate timelines, as what Doc Brown mentioned in Back to the Future, uh, the second one that alternate 1985 timeline. You know, that's basically what would have happened here with Fringe, all based around the focal point that is the end of season four. Um, 
The other thing, too, is I kind of wish that they would have just stuck with uh, alternate timelines and kind of done a sliders type thing, where now it's not just the main timeline or the alternate timeline, like what you see in seasons two, three, and four, but now they start introducing a whole bunch of other timelines into it where you can jump to other alternate universes besides the two main ones that that we see throughout seasons one through four. But you know, hindsight type of thing, and they only had one more season to go, so at that point, why start adding that in there? Why not just stick with the Observer uh, storyline? That does make sense, even though I kind of wish they would have done multitudes of timelines that people could possibly come from. Um, And overall, I'm going to give the whole Fringe series a B. Um... It's good, you know. Be for me, B is a, is a pretty good uh, rating, um, but you know, it's A's are A's are the best of the best. B's are they're good, they're great. I'd watch it again, um, but yeah, I I'd give it a B. Uh, when it comes to season five, I'd say probably season five is just in and of itself. I'd rank it a C for for a rating. Um, the other series, the other seasons, I'd say were um, season four was a B. I'd, I'd give it, you know. Um, season three definitely an A. Seasons one and two, you know, probably yeah. I'd say it averages out to a B. So, you know, a couple A seasons in there. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's a good series overall. I, I would definitely suggest watching it. Uh, as I mentioned in season four, there's, you know, 20 to 23 seasons per episode, uh, episodes per season for the first four, and then only uh, 13 episodes for season five. Um, but I, I do think that uh, um, it's a good series overall. Like I said, if they had more options in terms of more seasons, it would have made more sense to do m- other a multitude of timelines but given that they only had 13 episodes left it made sense for them to go down the observer route for observer authoritarianism um that made sense you know that kind of route to take um i did like it you know even though like i said i gave it a b um and some of my other cons when it came to my criticism of it but Overall, I'd, I'd say it's a B. Definitely check it out. Uh, if not just for either the uh, X-File-like stories that they have to go and investigate, or if you're into uh, the, the comedic relief that is sexual and drug use innuendos, I mean, go for it if it's just simply for that, because they got some pretty good ones in there. So um, that is my critique of the TV series Fringe. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, the five-parter for Fringe. I'm always looking for suggestions as to what other shows I can uh, watch and critique. As I mentioned, I'm still going to sit down and redo uh, Mandalorian Season 1 and 2 coming up here shortly. So that's a look for that here in the next couple months. Um, Probably do it season by season again. Otherwise, I'm probably going to shift all these uh, TV or movie critiques over to my uh, Detailing Geekdom, especially if they apply to fantasy or sci-fi stuff, and leave the synopsis for more of uh, non-sci-fi fantasy material or book reviews that I'll be uh, 
releasing here hopefully later this week. So thank you for tuning in to The Detailing Mind. I'm your host, Jason, uh, checking out with another episode. We'll see you next time.